Ladies and gentlemen, in your lifetime and in my lifetime, we have gone all the way in the culture from Madonna singing Papa Don't Preach into the churches and the churches are saying preachers don't preach. The time will come when they will have itching ears and they will turn their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables myths. But Paul gives a word concerning apostasy and with a note of urgency he says to the young preacher, Preach the word! That's what God wants the preacher to do in this day. clearer than any other person. But in Isaiah 49, verses 1, 2, and 3, I'll read these verses and then make a practical application, spiritual application, as we look at three things, the servant, the sharp sword, and the shaft that's polished. I'll center my remarks today on the polished shaft, which is no more than an arrow for a bow, an instrument, or a weapon of war. Isaiah 49, verse 1, Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken, ye people, from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb. From the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. I think all of us can see the prophecy there, don't you? And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand hath he hid me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver hath he hid me and said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Would you pray with me, Father? And my heart thrilled at this very moment as I sense your presence. As our brother said, there is something about these morning services. We can just sense the stillness of God. And Lord, we love you today as we look back through these 20 years, even this week. And we see exactly what are a part of what we'll be preaching this morning. As we look in the lives of others, we can see it. What's out before us, we don't see very clearly because we know we're walking by faith. And we know that there is yet much development in our lives because none have arrived yet. But I pray that you'd help us to have a measure of understanding of what you're doing in all of our lives at particular times that we not grieve you, but let you make of us what you want, that you can use us effectively in the ministry of our Lord Jesus. Now, use me this morning, Lord. I want to preach. I want you to use me to the glory of yourself. I'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. In the life of every believer, there's three warfares that you must be acquainted with. Every person that knows God, there's three warfares that you are acquainted with. Number one, there's the warfare of conviction. 
There was a time in my life that I could curse God. It didn't bother me at all. I could go home, go right to bed. Brother John, never bother me. Oh, there was a time when my conscience, when I first began to grow up, my conscience condemned me. But after a while, my conscience didn't even bother me. And you can get to the place where you needn't curse God, and it doesn't bother you. But there comes a time in your life, if you know God today, that that conscience was awakened by God, the Holy Spirit. And you was made aware of your need of God. And all those warfare that began within you, it may have lasted a day, an hour, a month, or six weeks, or however long. But if you know God this morning, you know of a warfare of conviction of a lost sinner. When you find that you was at war with God, you were an enemy. One day you surrendered. You realized that God didn't want to kill you and destroy you. He wanted to give you life. And that warfare ended. And now where sin did abound or overpower my life, Grace overpowers me. And that warfare of conviction is forever gone. And I'm going to be honest with you, I've never been under conviction of being a sinner lost without God since I've been saved. That is gone. That warfare is over and peace has been made by the blood of his cross and that peace is mine. But there's a second warfare that's the warfare of the carnal nature. That began the moment God saved me. I had to contend with it every day. I don't know what you do or not, but I do. I have to constantly put the flesh to death to keep him crucified or try to keep him dead. That'll never end until I'm redesigned or fashioned like into his glorious body. Now, if you know God, you know the warfare of the carnal nature and the new nature that God's given us. But there is a third warfare that we're familiar with. That's the warfare that's against Christianity in general. The principalities, the powers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places is determined to destroy the work of Christianity in this land and in this world. My friend, God, as I mentioned in a previous message, God has no other weapons, no warriors, except the born-again believer in the world. God is not using angels. He will again when Israel comes in focus again, but not now. As we mentioned in the Old Testament, we are God's army. In the New Testament, we are God's soldiers. But here in this spiritual application, we are God's weapons. Not only the army and the soldiers, but we're the weapons of God. And always in the word of God, the arrow and the sword are instruments of war. I want to preach after a few minutes on that particular thought of the arrow. But notice some thought before we get there. First of all, Mark down the three. There is the shaft or the the servant, the shaft, and the sword. Verse two, he hath made me. 
Verse 2, he's hid me. And he said to me, there is something God wants me to know that he's done or that he is doing. Now the reason that many that had that desire when saved for God to use them, when they found the extremes that God takes us to sometime to develop us, they fall by the wayside. Without understanding, and they fall away. Some with great potential. That's the reason, my friend, it's absolutely, it's imperative in the life of every believer to be in a Bible teaching church. Not only where truth is taught about prophecy and about the past, but truth about the present hour will really begin in the personal body. Amen. In verse number two, he says, first of all, that he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. I can honestly understand that verse. God never said that he made our eloquent speech like a sharp sword. I don't have any. I could have went on to college had I had enough initiative when I was a young man. I'm sure that it would have been provided some way. But as a lost young man, I, had, I didn't have enough initiative to finish the eighth grade. Quit. So backward, even after I was married, if someone would come to my house to visit us, I'd go to the back and wouldn't even come out. Because they left. I didn't want to talk to anybody. But I'm going to tell you one thing. What God's done for me and put me in the ministry is more real to me. It's just as real as being born again. Amen. My wife said to me, Honey, when God saved you, he loosed your tongue on both ends. That's the truth. Ever since the moment God saved me, he's put something down inside me that's been churning. Amen. And I believe I'd die. I believe I'd explode if I couldn't tell it. And it's not eloquence that God's ever blessed because I don't have any and you don't either. But it's the power of the word of Almighty God. Amen. He's made our mouth like a sharp sword. And someone somewhere is waiting for you just to speak the word to them. Whether it be on the job, whether it be at the store, wherever it is, what God has given us inward is like a sword of God. It'll cut. It's yet to be known the power that's in the spoken word of God. Why, Satan knows the power that's in spoken words. The only thing God ever created could speak coherently with any understanding as human beings. Why, Satan knows. That's the reason that through the years he's raised up men that took the advantage of speaking. Well, if you go back and study, I make reference to this several times. I remember when I was a child in the 30s, I remember the editorial cartoons 
when he showed a little bitty man with hair hanging down his eyes and a little mustache. And he'd be holding a microphone bigger than him. And he made fun of Adolf Hitler with his feminine screaming voice. What they didn't understand, the power of Satan that he gave to that man and the persuasiveness of his voice. He almost destroyed the world. And he would have had he not been trying to raise a super race of people without God. Why, Satan told him there could be a super race of people. But he left God out of it. Why, Satan knew there's going to be a supernatural race of people. But it don't come the way he was going to do it. But through that voice of that man, he almost destroyed the world. And had not God intervened, he'd have done it. Hundred years ago, friend, there wasn't fifty communists on this earth. Far as organized communism. Billions are in bondage today, and the words of Marxism is still powerful. Only God knows the power that's in the spoken word. It's not just from the pulpit, but it's in the heart of every child of God that's been saved. He's made our mouth a sharp sword. Amen. Whether it be preacher or whoever it is, if we're born again, the words God gives to us are like a sharp sword. Tongue is more powerful than any bomb that man's ever invented. It can do more damage. James said it's like a fire to destroy it. It's like a rudder to drive. It's a serpent's bite to destroy in death. And it's a bit in a horse's mouth to direct life. Not only was Hitler and Karl Marx powerful in their words, but the same teaching is found in the Second World War. When England's greatest man, go down the longer history goes, the greater that man becomes. Little short, fat man. But while England was beaten to her knees, the buzz bombs fell upon the cities that they treasured. And Britain was almost defeated when the air raid would come. Winston Churchill would get on the air. And through the screaming of the bombs and the explosions, they'd hear that man's voice. And he'd rally England to her knees, from her knees back to standing. England never gave up. And it's a credit to that man, Winston Churchill, with that voice of his persuasively calling them to their strength that he knew they had. Often, oh, listen, if we'd just speak for God. Amen. If we'd open up and let God use what we have. When France went anti-God many years ago, no nation's ever kept her power and forgot God. The anti-God movement in France, they done away with all the, they called it Sabbath days or any days to recognize God. Their animals had more sense than they did. Their mules would stop and not even work. France is still reaping on the morals today of doing what they did then. But when that anti-God movement swept towards England, before it went over that English channel, God looked down in England and found a mother that had 17 children. 
Now them 17, he got two boys. And he put words in their mouths. Glory to God. He made their mouths sharp swords. And they turned two nations to God. Oh, we might not agree with everything. We're not talking about that. I'm talking about God using them. He did. Oh, how God used them. He made our mouth a sharp sword. You never have one about the God. It's that word that's one to God. Amen. Don't it make you sick, all oh, this business of I've done this, I've done that. Oh, yes. You know what the word vessel means? Right, it comes from the word casket. We wasn't nothing but dead anyhow. Still are if God don't live through you. Amen. Just think of the wonder God bringing life through an old casket. He's made our mouth a sharp sword. Did you know a king spends more time preparing his weapons than he does actually using them? Think about it. So does God. But I'll guarantee you there'll come a time of God's preparation of your life that nobody else can do the work he wants you to do. Amen. That's the reason it took me some years to realize it used to when a preacher would come in a building where I was preaching scared me to death. I wonder what they're going to think of me. Oh, how God shamed me about that. I don't have the ability they got. They don't have the ability I got. God give everyone us according to the measure of the gifts. If I just let God use me like he wants to use me, he'll get it done. I'll apply myself and give wholeheartedly over to God. He'll get out of me what he wants. Not only has he made my mouth a sharp sword, but he's also said that we are a shaft. And the word shaft, you know, is an arrow. Now, the arrow is one of God's chief weapons. And in the scriptures, anytime an arrow is mentioned, it is always a declaration of war, the shooting of an arrow. When an arrow is shot, that's a declaration of war. Now, in Hebrews chapter 12, there's four possibilities for the believer. I'll give you one of them. There is a possibility in your way of life, which the word race is not an athletic event, it's a way of life God set before you. You're not in competition with anybody, but God has set a way of life before you. And in that way of life, with all the obstacles God lets us come in contact with, there is a possibility, number one, for you to become faint in your mind. Now, it just so happens the word faint means a slack bowstring. Now, when a bowstring is slack, an arrow is no good. Amen. It's got potential and possibility, but an arrow cannot be shot when a bowstring is not pulled off. Right. And it's very possible in our life if we don't understand what God's doing. And sometimes we have to follow God not knowing, but trusting. Amen. That what he's doing, he's doing well. Amen. And in that under somewhere, it'll be for the glory of God. So you see, the error is God's weapon. Now, I want to apply for a few minutes 
Very simple teaching. The same as the teaching of a shepherd and the sheep. Same as the vessel upon the wheel and all the other types in the scripture of how the air is made in the Bible days. Now, if you don't have Thompson's Land in the book and other good books of customs, you better get them. But there are several things about the making of that era that is exactly how God develops our life as a believer. Number one, you have to consider the strangeness of the wood that he uses to make his arrows. Now, when I made arrows as a boy, I'd go out and find the straightest stick I could find, give me a cool, cool stopper, put on the end of it, had an arrow, but not so the way that they made them in Bible days. And the way they made them then is exactly how God does it. Because he found strange wood to make them out of. You see, he was a master at making arrows. The warrior was. He knew the importance of it. And the strangeness of that wood pictures exactly what you and I were. Because wood always in the Bible is a picture of man's pride and sin. That's the only thing God's got to make weapons out of his sinners. As he develops them. Now, the wood that he finds is strange because of its condition when he finds it. He goes out to a dry desert place and he finds a little bush that has a particular name that grows in a dry, barren wasteland. Because of a lack of moisture, it's never developed. And it's gnarled and twisted and crooked, knotty. Actually, it's good for nothing. Nobody's ever wanted it. All it's ever done is just struggle. And people kick dirt on it. Nobody's ever wanted it. 29 years I sat away. I remember a week before God saved me. Y'all may not enjoy this day, but God's got me about full. A week before God saved me. Where I worked, three fellows got tremendous jobs and left the company. Nice sick in body. Only way I ever felt good was to drink and keep it kind of suppressed. And I remember telling one of them, well, y'all go on. I hope you have real success. I think I'll just work on here and hang out nothing to live for much anyhow. Probably just live here till I die. Not just a week. Poor old me. But it wasn't a week. So God saved me. How I many found me in that barren, dry country? Twisted and gnarled, crooked, nobody wanted me. Well, there had many passed by, but nobody ever thought nothing about me. Has he found any of y'all there? Why, well, he found us all that way. Well, who would ever wanted old gnarled up thorn bush? But he come looking for it. He knew what he could make out of it. That's the reason 1 Corinthians 1, 20 is there. Is it 20? Verse 20. Base things, foolish things. I read that one day and found out I qualified every one of them. I really did. <laughs> every one of them, I fit it. And I said, God, you said that. And if you can do anything with it, here it is. 
<laughs> you see, wood's a picture of sin and sin. Sin ruined the first man, murdered the second, destroyed the third, drove him away. And ever since then, sin's been doing the same thing. But oh, thank God, in between then and now, there's been one come looking for him. The first thing he does when he finds that old gnarled up, twisted, crooked limb, the first thing he does, he pulls it loose from the earth. That's about to make me go to glory. He separates it from what's been holding it. And it don't belong to that no more. Now, it don't look a lot different when he first separates it, but its difference is it's in his hands now. Amen. Well, there wasn't much difference in us the first week God saved us. Well, a lot of people may not have seen it, but you wait, he got something in mind. He knows what he was looking for, and he knows how to develop it. So the first thing he does when he dislocates it from what's been holding it, he gets it up in his hands, and that's his. And he removes the thorns and the leaves off of it. Leaves are always a picture of man's pride. And thorns, anywhere you read them in the word of God, from the first time in the book of Genesis when God said the earth would bring forth thorns, to the last time they're mentioned, it always associated with a curse. And thorns is one of the seven things that came with the fall of man that you'll find in the life of the Lord Jesus. He took them all out of the way. Glory to God. The sevenfold curse that fell upon Adam, somewhere in the life of Jesus, you see them one by one. The thorns is the only thing that was never removed from his body when they crucified him. There's no record of it. Couldn't, because he was the curse. But he removed the curse of the thorns. Now he's got nothing but an old twisted up, gnarled bush stick in his hand. How in the world did he ever make an arrow out of that? Well, that's what makes him God. Who would ever thought he could took some of us from where he found us? I've been preaching nearly 20 years. I've been preaching ever since I've been saved. And honestly, I still run into people say, you mean you're a preacher? I say, not much of one, but I'm trying. Well, they wondered if God even saved me, much less put me where he's let me preach. And some of y'all the same way. The ditch God got you out of. I never want to go back to that. Never. Never. I don't want to go back to that vomit I laid in. But can he make anything out of that? Yes, God can. Oh, God can. But we must understand there's got to be a development. And the way that Iris made, the first thing he does, after he strips it of the thorns and the leaves, he builds a fire. And here's where many of God's peoples drop out. They went through this teaching of man They've heard it like I was. If you ever get saved, everything will be all right. I honestly thought that when I got saved, before I got saved, if I ever got saved, that I never had no more trouble. But I found out that's when the trouble started. I was going against the force after I got saved. I build a fire. And there is not one child of God that's not familiar with the fire. And if you go back in your Christian experience, you'll remember... Immediately after you got saved, a week, two weeks, two months, or whenever it was. But right soon after you were saved, God let you go through a great trial. Oh, I know where it was in my But he's not putting that wood in that fire to destroy it. 
is going to develop it. And that wood, he knows what he's looking for, so it becomes pliable. And while it's in the fire, he drives 12 sticks in a row, six side by side. That's the number of man and 12's number of ministry. He's getting you ready for his ministry somewhere. And he takes it while it's pliable and he forces it down inside that. You say, that's good. I'm glad that's over. Listen, friend, it's over and over. Is it how long it takes for it to get straight? I don't know. But I look behind me, there's many ash piles. I mean, there's many of them where God's let me go through fires. And with every one of them, he repeats the process to that old twisted up stick, gnarled and twisted now, straighter than it was still. Not an arrow, who in the world could ever shoot an arrow? Of old twisted stick still got locked. Yeah, but it's not what it was. Fire after fire. Why, Peter said in verse 5 of 1 Peter, wherein you greatly rejoice. I mean, verse 6. You greatly rejoice over what? Because of what he said in verses 1 to 5. We see our promised inheritance in verse 4. And in verse 5, we see our promised protection. We're kept by the power of God. Through faith, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein you greatly rejoice over these facts. Well, if it just ended there, wouldn't it be something? But verse 6 must come, the probing of the believer. Oh, he said, where, where in your greatly rejoice? He said, though for a season, if need be, you in heaven is through manifold temptation. Thank God they're just for a season. You don't stand there far all your life. The season's going to end sometime. When they do, you better just rejoice and praise God. Yes. They're necessary if need be. Yes. They're heavy, they're grievous. Yes. But with every fire, God's developing you. And we become a little bit more what God wants us to be in that fire. Boy, every one of us go back and look. I was thinking about fires that men went through. I don't know where I told you all or not, but Miss Ironside, she died last year. She lived in the town where I do. I'd go over and sit with her and talk with her about Dr. Harry. And she'd tell me about him, and she told me about his last days of his ministry when he was blind. She said, never did he complain. She said, I'd lead him into the church and lead him up to the platform. And said, I'd place his hands there, and I'd sit down. And said, he'd wait a minute or so, and then he'd say, read to me, Annie. And she said, I'd read from anywhere in the Word of God. And said, Dr. Harry would begin to preach. And I just thought, oh God, what a fire. Man had been an international traveler, had written books on every book of the Bible, pastored one of the great churches of America, but no complaining. He realized even in that it was part of God's development. Often you may be here today in the fire. You may... God to use, you better realize there's some fires along the way because they're developing our lives. Many of God's people kick out right here. They can't stand that fire. And there's many, many potential errors laying by the wayside that would not let God develop them. As he did in the days of Malachi, 
they thought there was no profit in serving God. But not only comes the fire, but when that stick is pretty straight, why well, it can't be shot in a, in a bowl yet. The second thing it has to do is steal the places where those old thorns was, little knot holes and sharp places. It'd tear his hand all the pieces if he were to shoot an arrow, try to shoot that thing in a bowl. We're not to grieve him. We're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. So the next thing he does, he takes a knife and he cuts them off. Now, if you don't think that hurts, you wait till God starts cutting at you. What is that likened to, preacher? The only thing I can think of, the word. For the word of God is sharper. It's quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. Here's the way I apply it. A lot of times you'll be in the fire. You can't wait till Sunday to come to the house of God. Oh, the preacher's going to comfort me today. He'll say something to comfort me today. And when you get there, that's the meanest he's ever preached. He almost called your name and said, this is what's wrong with you. And you went home feeling terrible. He chopped at you with the word of God. Oh, I've had that happen to me so many times. They think you're shooting at them when God's just taking the word of God Amen. and cutting. Get in those rough places so it won't grieve God. Amen. And did you know that you'll never please God? And if the Lord let me, I'd like to if somebody else hadn't ever preached it here. The message I preach on the two witnesses of the second coming. I'd love to preach that in the morning. Anna and Simeon. Yeah, preach that, John. Do you know what the word of Simeon means? It means hearing with gladness. The person that's looking for Jesus, they're going to hear with gladness. You don't preach it too hard for them. I mean, they're looking for the Lord. But that word, he's going to cut you. You say, boy, I'm glad all that's over. I'm ready. No, you're not ready yet. A further stage of development in their life. The way that air was made, you'd take a piece of broken earthenware and begin to scrape it. Often you don't think that's easy to take. Nobody does. You know what it is? You ever cut your finger on an old vase, a flower vase, that old brown clay? Nothing in the world hurts like that. It stings. And somewhere God's going to let somebody try your patience. I mean, they're going to scrape you. I believe in every church, God may put one there. You wait till God gets you up and just start scraping you. But all the time you think, God, why don't you, I don't get him out. You can't even preach him out. A lot of time you can't even put him out. God's put a to be like sandpaper. But after they get through with that scraping, why, who could I ever tell that that thing was old gnarled up, twisted limb? Amen. Good for nothing now, smooth. No knot holes on it, nowhere, just a smooth. Slide through his hand so easy. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm glad all that's over. No, there's still things. God has one purpose in our life on earth, and that's to see Jesus in us. Y'all agree with that? God's not so concerned. Hear me now. God's not so concerned about how fast I run. God's concerned if he can see his face in me or not. That's what God's after. He wants to see Christ in me. 
So the next thing he does with that piece of stick, he takes butter oil and saturates that whole stick, and it permeates the whole thing. Goes all the way through it. And don't get your theology all mixed up. But there comes a time in your life, friend, through crises or whatever you want to call it, when you're wholly given over to God. I mean, there come a time in your life, I don't know of anything God's ever got me to do didn't come through a crisis in my life. Now, that's not getting out of the Word of God. There's a time when you give yourself wholly over to God. You ever study the places that God begged man to do something in the Bible? Would God beg anybody? Yeah. God's begged us to give him our bodies. That he might permeate us with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit permeate our lives. Because when that, when that shaft was absolutely permeated with that oil, which is a picture of always the Holy Spirit, you know that. He could hold it up and he could see his face in it. Wow, who would ever thought, come from an old thorn bush to this? Why, friend, that ain't nothing what it's going to be. Amen. Amen. And you think of where God found some of us. To the glorious liberty we have in Christ where he's brought us now. But you just think what it's going to be when the war is over. Amen. When all the weapons, when all the weapons are laid down and the war is over. And not only does he do that, you say, boy, it's got to be ready now. No, notice it said he hath hid me. That's the hardest part of our development is God to hide us. I believe that's the hardest thing I've ever gone through in my life. But you see, God develops you for what he wants you to do. Brother Garland preached another night and telling us, he got saved in three months, he's preaching, and three more months he's pastoring. That's what I wanted, but that's not the way God did it. When I first got saved, I started preaching from the time I got saved. Started a Bible school, I think, the next week, or the week after that. And I remember week after week, month after month, I'd stand on the fifth floor, look out the window of the United Community Chess Building in Atlanta, and look out over Atlanta and cry, and thought I was going to die with it. Oh, God, if you don't let me loose, and let me go. If I had wings like a dove, go, oh, God, please use me. Why, him shut up. Do you know what I'm talking about? God nowhere around. I'd go home at night from Bible school and I'd be so full. I'd preach to everybody over to Biltmore Hotels. I'd wait on my daddy to get off at work. I'd go home, wake my wife up, and I'd preach to her about what I'd been taught in school. And she'd lay there and, just, and say, please wait till tomorrow to preach to me. I'd to tell somebody. Yes, amen. I'd preach on the street in the jail. In homes, anywhere. But down inside, I want a congregation. Oh, God! Let me have a small group of people somewhere. Didn't hear nothing. No word from God. One year passed to two. Two years in studying and crying and squalling and begging. Oh, friend... To be hid is the hardest part of our lives. I begin to search the scripture. By Moses never done the things for God, but God hid him three-fourths three of his life. Nehemiah never laid a brick in that wall until God hid him down in Persia. 
Why, before David could ever rule that great flock of Israel, God had to hide him over that little flock. Why, the apostle Paul had to be hid in Arabia. You'll never hear it spoken of much, but it's 13 years before Paul ever went and fulfilled the Father's wishes in his life. He had to go through that development. In his 13th year, the year of the Barbitsa, he went out to do the Father's will to the Gentile. Right. Are you hearing me this morning? To stay hid where God wants you is the hardest part of our development. Even our Lord was hidden. God hid him in Egypt. In and out of Capernaum nine times he came. The city of consolation. Why, you may be here today and feel like you're hid. God's got you hidden somewhere. But God knows where you are. He knows exactly where you are. Ten years, ten years of my ministry preaching in Smyrna, Georgia was a blessed time. Hard times, but blessed times. For no reason at all from the church, no problems. And I know people don't believe that a lot of times. But no problems at all. God just seemed to hang a black cloud over that church and said, leave, get out of here. Leave. I wrestled that thing for only God knows how long. Every time I'd hear ambulance, every time I'd hear a siren, scare me to death. God kept saying, get out of here. Move. One morning, I was preaching, and Abraham went out, not knowing whether he went. And God broke me, and I couldn't preach. God said, don't you hear me? You go out, not knowing where. I'll show you. I went out and God hid me for six months of the worst months of my life. Down below Stone Mountain, in the thickness of a pine grove, building a house one day, is having preachers meeting there and around murdered Marietta or Mabel somewhere. And I wanted to be there so bad. The man I was helping build that house, I could have been in five different churches in those six months, but God wouldn't let me go nowhere. Down laying under a tree, I honestly buried myself in pine straw. And God broke me again like I'd never been broke before. I didn't care if God killed me. I didn't care what God did. I didn't care if God would kill me right there. Oh, God, please do something, Lord. I'm dying. I went home that night. That night, there was a call from a little cotton mill town in Thomaston. The only thing I knew about Thomas George is we played ball there when I was a kid. Only cotton meal town daddy never did live in. They didn't even call me to be the pastor when we come down just preach for them one day. I went entered into that city and saw all the meal houses. Why, like I'd been there, been living there 20 years. I didn't tell nobody. Didn't have to. My wife said, isn't this amazing? My children said, oh, daddy, I love this place. I said, well, they didn't call us down here to be their pastor. But down inside, you ever, you ever felt like you, well, I've been here before. This is so real. That's the way it was. That morning when I preached, why, you know how God talks to me. God said, now, if these people do the will of God, this is it. This is it. Oh, we had a meeting. And I went there. 
under some adverse conditions. But God said, that's it. And for six weeks, I didn't get a phone call. But I was willing for God to let me die right there in that tent. You understand what I'm saying? I didn't care if I never left that town. I just wanted to serve God. I didn't care if he kept me hid there the rest of my life. I never saw another preacher. I never had another meeting. I didn't care. I thought God even forgot where I was. Every preacher I tried to get to come there couldn't even find it. I don't remember about Billy where he found a way or not. Dr. Sautley couldn't find it. Two or three missionaries got lost, went to another town. But then finally they began to happen. Calls to come here and come there. And I honestly believe that that was a five years of God developing up to this particular point in my ministry and my life that he's given to me. I mean, I know. But to be hidden of God is one of the hardest tests you'll ever go through. Let me tell you something. He never, he never developed that era not to be used. And history proves the same thing. No nation has ever stockpiled a bunch of weapons and they went to waste. All they're building now is going to be used too, friend. And then that God develops, he's going to use too. There's going to come a time when God's got you at the right time, at the right place, and when the enemy comes in like a flood. He'll get that arrow. And he's not got time to say, I wonder is it going to work. No, he knows it's going to work. Praise God, he developed it. He made it. He knows it'll work. And even when he takes it out of the quiver, it's still hid in his hand. And when it's in flight, it moves so fast nobody can see it. And when the enemy falls and when the air is used, nobody ever praises the air. They say, what a wonderful archer. Oh, thank God for the one that sent it. Amen. That's right. That error can be used over and over as long as it stays true to course. Over and over. There come a time when in our life, if we'll stay with God, whether we can feel him or not, what he's doing, whether we can sense what God's doing or not, keep ourselves clean, walk with God, and let God make us. He's made me. God's making us what he wants us. What God wants you to do may not be the particular race for life that he's given to me. But whatever it is, he's developed me for it. And one day, when I first got saved, there's always things that never leave you. But I heard a man say about a week after I was saved, that there's a possibility of hearing him say, well done, good and faithful service. And only God knows what that done to my heart. I said, is that a possibility? To hear God literally say to me, well done. And I read it, and it is. There's a possibility, I can't hardly contain what I'm thinking. There's a possibility of looking him in the face and him speaking directly to me and saying, well done. I can't hardly handle that. (laughs) For the Lord. I want that. I want it. More than anything, I want to to hear him say, well done. Good and faithful servant. We can all have that. In Psalm 21, 
What a verse. And thou shalt cause them to turn back when thou hast made ready thine arrow. Oh, oh, when God gets that arrow ready, then him it'll turn. He's made me a polished shaft. He's hid me in his quiver and said unto me, Thou shalt be my servant and shall glorify me. Oh, Israel. God help me to stay hid if that's what his wishes are. Oh, wherever you are, wherever we are in our development for God, Lord help me to lie still. Trust you. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for simple teaching of these truths of God. Lord, deep in my heart today, you know the very recesses of my heart. I desire to hear that from the lips of the Lord Jesus. I'm not asking for more fire. But Lord, help me, whatever it calls for in my life for development, to be willing to walk by faith in the love of Christ constraining me to be developed, to be usable to the fullest extent to the glory of our Lord. And for everyone here today, maybe going through fires, may have been at that place where the word of God might have cut and even offended them. Oh, God, help them to awaken to what you're doing. Wherever we are in any stage of our development, help us to let you continue the work in us until finally one day we'll finally, finally reach that state of perfection when we're like you. But help us all to realize that none will ever attain perfection here. But it'll be a constant, constant development until we reach home. We'll praise you. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, bless our dear brother Billy as he comes to preach this morning. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.